Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We're lawyers, mothers, and co-hosts of the bipartisan podcast, Pantsuit Politics. We have more in common than divides us. In a world that defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the messiness of living wisely. The choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Nuanced Life. Today, we're going to talk about how life doesn't always proceed on the schedule or in the way that you thought it might, including an advice question about college and a commemoration or two. And before we get into that, Sarah has made a big life shift that we need to discuss here. We talked about it on Pants Politics, but it's it's gotten such a reaction. We thought we better talk about it <laughs> over here, too. Um, I have deactivated my Facebook account. I have been on Facebook since March 2006. My husband decided to follow my lead and also uh, deactivate his Facebook account, and he ended his post with, Thanks for the memory, Zuckerberg. Your website's garbage. Um, <laughs> I think that kind of how I feel about it. Like, I used to say I would leave the room if you t- said something bad about Facebook. Like, when I moved back to Paducah and I was a young, particularly stay-at-home mom, uh, Facebook was a real lifeline for me. I mean, I don't think Pansy Politics would exist without Facebook. That's how we sort of reconnected. And I really had a lot of warmth in my heart for Facebook for many, many years. And then Facebook changed. And so I just want to say, it's not me. It's you, Facebook, <laughs> upon this breakup. I It has become so toxic and just, it was a really bad time suck. And I kind of got that under control. I deleted off my phone. That helped a lot. I reduced my usage on Facebook pretty dramatically. But it didn't matter. The small amount of time I did spend on it left me feeling frustrated because of political conversations or conversations is a really generous term for what I'm describing. But um, and I just feel like it's it's bad for our democracy. And so I felt like if I if I'm a person who whose work is a focused on improving the political polarization, I could not participate in a platform that I feel like is really perpetuating it, particularly their decision to not fact check political ads is what I think maybe was the straw that broke the camel's back and to let people pay to spread ads that are manipulative and spread a disinformation. So I just thought about it. And and with Lent coming up, I thought this is a good opportunity because I usually step away during Lent anyway. And I just deactivated. It was really intense, honestly, in the moment. When you say that you used to tell people that you would leave the room if they talked bad about Facebook, that's like very recent history. I mean, I, I feel yeah. like you were still there when we like first started the show. Uh-huh. Like a year or two ago, probably still even. I mean, listen, being a city commissioner did not do any favors my feelings about Facebook. Although advertising on Facebook is definitely part of the reason I got elected. Like it was a huge part of my strategy. And I think it was a successful part of my strategy. Even that changed so dramatically just from 2018 and then to 2020. Well, that's part of why this is, I think, an important nuanced life kind of conversation, because I think when people hear something like, you know, I'm opposed to what they're doing politically or around disinformation, and that's part of my decision making process, then it becomes like everybody's kind of defense mechanisms come up. And so I think it's good to make clear that like, 
yes, you know that Facebook also owns Instagram, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And you mm -hmm. still make the decision to be on Instagram. And yes, we understand that all social media has an upside and a downside. And and I, I just think when you make a decision like this, it almost brings us all into the kind of space that we get in when someone is like very outspoken about being vegan or, or or home birth, which I'm also familiar with. <laughs> or home birth or breastfeeding or even just I really love this band. You know, I mean, we can just really kind of go to weird places when someone makes a choice that differs from perhaps a choice that we're making right now. And I'm wondering what kind of reactions you've experienced as you've shared this and how you're navigating those discussions. Well, it's really interesting because I think almost to a person, there was a, cu- a couple listeners who said, Really, just one who said, I, I've, I, it's like a really good place for me to connect intellectually with certain groups. And there were definitely, I still, it's not that I had no positive interactions on Facebook. That's not true. There was a couple groups I uh, belonged to that I liked, um, a couple people I followed that I thought sent really great things. It's just that, that at the end of the day, the cost did not outweigh the benefit by any stretch of the imagination. It was still really, really far apart. I think this probably like my my journey here accelerated because of taking tech Shabbat on Saturday. And I told Nicholas the other day, the like at the end of a Saturday last weekend. And I had articulated this a little bit on the podcast. I felt like there were two of me. There was the one living my real life and there was the one living this this simultaneous existence on the Internet. And to hop back and forth and back and forth and back and forth is exhausting. And so on the tech Shabbat days. Like when I don't, when I'm not checking text messages in particular, that's the biggest impact I notice. And I'm not being drawn into this other space constantly and I don't feel really split in two um, is really powerful. And for Facebook, you know, when I was in that that Sarah, like Facebook Sarah, just the, again, it just wasn't the positives were not enough. Um, they were not something I couldn't find other places and really leave a lot of the negatives behind. And I Besides the one listener who says I get a lot of intellectual engagement from Facebook to a person, everybody was like, I'm not far behind you. I've gotten a lot of, oh, my gosh, I don't know if I can do it. Uh, But I've gotten a a lot of, oh, yeah, I did it three years ago and I never looked back. You're going to love it. (laughs) Lots of those on Instagram, which is its own delicious kind of irony. And like the people commenting on my page, I had a few like, we'll really miss you. You know, I connected with you here or but a lot of people were like, no, I, I don't. I'm not behind you. I never expected my husband to deactivate, which he did literally today as we're recording. And I got a call at 10 a.m. like, oh, my God, what have I done? <laughs> he didn't realize how much he was checking it. He did. He just wasn't accepting it. I would give literally anything to see the numbers of Facebook, like in the United States. I'm sure they have a sense of like breakdown, socioeconomic breakdown of usage and how it's shifting. Like you got to believe at the start of Lent every year, their deactivation must skyrocket, Right people stepping away for Lent. And then I'd love, I would love, love, love to see how that plays out. Like who sticks with it all of Lent and the people who stick with it for the 40 days, what percentage actually come back? Like, I think that would be so interesting. That would be interesting. I mean, I have not taken this leap, but I think that this is a good representation of our personalities in some ways too, because I don't ever feel drawn into Facebook the way that you describe feeling drawn into Facebook. I'm there. I post pictures of my kids. My extended family sees them. Sometimes I check in on my extended family on Facebook. I pay a little bit of attention to like our neighborhood pages just to know what's going on that I might not otherwise be aware of. 
but I am never in a comment thread. Almost never. And I don't feel like it's a separate existence for me. And honestly, I keep my Facebook page for two primary reasons. Number one, just the convenience of being able to log in through Facebook on a number of websites, which I know is a very bad decision security-wise, and it is a lazy decision that I've made. And two, being able to have that on this day feature. Like, I love seeing my memories from years ago, day by day, and it feels harder to let go of that the longer I'm on the platform. But I'm probably not anywhere approaching a Facebook power user And I don't feel like I'm contributing a lot um, when I'm there. And so it just doesn't feel like a decision point for me. But I completely agree with every aspect of why you made this choice. Well, let me share a few things I've learned since deactivating for anybody considering and who has those concerns. One, I just put Time Hop back on my phone. Remember, that's what we all used to use before Facebook bastardized their technology. Do you remember Time Hop? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's they've got a really cute app and they will pull from Twitter and Instagram, too. So you can see it all at once. So I still get that. I still open it up. And like when I'm standing around like, what, what? Let me see some baby pictures of my babies. Thank you. Time hop. So that's I fixed that problem. I was really worried about events and it will still I don't know how this works. I think truly deactivation is a like they make it so easy to get back in because they want you back in. Like all you have to do is log in and you're activated again. Um, but they will send you emails that you're invited to. I don't know so how somebody's inviting you to something if you've deactivated your account, but whatever. Because I was worried about missing out on events. And you have to deactivate Messenger separately. So if Messenger is a way that often people will reach out to you, I was a little worried about that. But they can still do that and you can deactivate your account. So there are lots of like, and I've, I had slowly been shifting to Google login anyway because I wanted to get away from Facebook. And so I am dealing with a few fallouts from no longer having the Facebook login, but whatever. I I had gone through there probably a year or two ago and deleted a ton of those, like, who was using Facebook for me to access. Because a lot of that stuff, like, I just don't even use anymore, and they don't need to have my Facebook login anymore. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's probably not a bad practice for all of us to go through again. But so there are some nice sort of workarounds so you don't feel totally... Um, disjointed by deactivation. But it's, you know, Tiffany Schling talks about this a lot in her 24-7 book. That's where I got the idea from Tech Shabbat, which is, you know, it's good for our brains. I think it's sometimes the, like, figuring out how to solve these problems, not the most easy technological way, is good for us. And so I'm just trying to embrace that when I think about the, the one thing I, I am going to miss and probably already miss is I really liked Facebook Marketplace. It was such an easy way to sell stuff. But then my mom was telling me about how, like, Salvation Army, my stepdad's on a board there, and they're, like, really suffering because people sell it on Facebook instead of taking it to Salvation Army. Mm. So then I kind of felt less bad about that, too. So that's where I'm at, everybody. One other question that I wanted us to talk about for a second is we had a listener say, do you think Facebook is less important to you or maybe social media in general because y'all have the podcast? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 300%. I totally agree with that. I can absolutely understand how somebody makes a different choice if they don't have another sort of public outlet for interesting conversation. A hundred percent throughout the week, something will like make me mad or I will think it's unjust. And I'll, my instinct is to go to Facebook (laughs) still sometimes. And then I'll think, no, I can just talk about that on the podcast. And a couple of things happen. One, I was being, I don't want to say manipulated, but I was just in the throes of emotion and I forget about it. And I don't even talk about it on the podcast. Two, 
talking about it on the podcast is a very different and I think healthier experience than posting a one-sided take on a social media platform, even if people can comment. When I have to articulate it for an audience of several thousand people, it does something different in my brain and the way I think about it than if I can just spout off to, to people who mostly agree with me on Facebook. And I understand people, not everybody, obviously not everybody has a podcast, but I think there are other ways to find that outlet because I do think it's really important to express ourselves politically. I mean, obviously we wrote a book about it. We just think it's better if we just have these conversations in person instead of posting on Facebook because it's just, I think it's a, I'm really coming around to the idea that like, and I think this is true, not just about ideas about politics, but of a lot of things. It feels like we're doing something. It makes us feel like we're doing something, but we're not. We need to connect with one another. We need to share longer in-depth conversations or we need to really get out in the community and do the work and not just post a donate button. You know what I mean? Like I think that in many ways those platforms are manipulating our desire to have an impact and really the impact is just on their advertising income. So that's my that's really where I've kind of come down on that. I think that's both true. And I want to be fair to the fact that many people are influenced by the way they interact with Facebook. I have a different Mm -hmm. perspective on how Facebook might how I might be influential on Facebook because I'm not very influenced by it. But that's not true for Mm -hmm. everybody. And so Mm -hmm. I think there are people Mm -hmm. who are doing something on Facebook. I remember Tabitha Eisner talking to us about how Facebook is like a ministry for her. And I think that's really important. And I don't want to give short shrift to anybody who experiences it in that way. And I thought that listener's point was a good one, that that we have a container for that kind of expression that is both healthier for us personally, probably healthier for everyone who would receive this kind of content from us, and that doesn't rely on a social media platform necessarily. Um, That's not true for everybody. And so I think just being discerning and making the best choices that you can in your life about where you have that that influence and impact um, is important. Definitely. But Godspeed, Sarah. I'm excited to hear more about this, especially as you get like months into it. Yeah, me too. We'll see. We'll see if I last. I'm I'm pretty sure I will. (laughs) We will be right back after this short message from our sponsor. If there's one thing. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you humans aren't great at it's predicting the future just take a look around no amount of crystal balls fortune cookies or tea leaves could predict the world we're living in right now but unpredictability is also what keeps life interesting the trick is to enjoy the ride without worrying about what's around the corner and one way to worry less is to get the right life insurance that's where policy genius can help it can feel so overwhelming to make good long-term decisions for your family especially when you don't have a crystal ball and you aren't sure exactly what your kids are going to need if something were to happen to you and policy genius has really found a way to make this process more attainable policy genius makes finding the right life insurance a breeze in minutes you can compare quotes from the top insurers to find your best price 
You could save $1,500 or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and red tape for free. And Policy Genius doesn't just make life insurance easy, they can also help you find the right home and auto insurance or disability insurance. So if you haven't found a play-by-play breakdown of your future inside a crystal ball or a cookie, that's okay. Be prepared for anything with life insurance. In just a few minutes, you can find your best price and apply at policygenius.com. Policy Genius will always get the future wrong. Better get life insurance right. We received a request for advice on Instagram. And our listener said, I'm deciding between staying in college for all four years to spend more time with kids my age, contemplate the future, and enjoy it or graduate a year early to get a head start. I've always pushed myself extremely hard and feel the need to keep going, yet see the value in staying. Sarah, you had a very strong reaction to this. Oh, my Lord, yes. Do not graduate early. Do not. You will have literally your entire life to be an adult. You have a very short amount of time in college. And especially if you're a person, like you said, who've been, who's been pushing yourself hard, I think it would be extremely beneficial to take a breath or else you'll just follow that drive down a road where maybe you don't really want to be. So listen, graduating early from college, I don't understand it. Here's how I feel about this. I feel like I have expertise in burning out early in life from pushing yourself too hard. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Also, I could make a case for graduating early to take a year to continue my education in a less expensive way. Like if you took a year and did something overseas or with like a Peace Corps kind of situation, something where you're still spending time with people your age, contemplating the future and enjoying it versus racking up $30,000, that you don't need to spend at your college, I think that would be a beautiful idea too. I just would not advocate for graduate early and get into what you think is going to be the career that you're going to spend the next 20 years in or something because I completely agree. You have your whole life for that. It is just often, you know, not what it's sold to be. Let me say that in a more clear way. Being an adult sucks most of the time. I mean, that's harsh, but it kind of is true. It's just you don't have a lot of control and you don't have a lot of free time often. And so that's all college is. Your job is to learn. There's so much free time. It was the best. I love college so much. I'm going to go weep in the corner now. I did not feel that way about college. Like I enjoyed it, but it was not the highlight of my life. I love being an adult. But being a new working professional is really a hard time in life. It is so hard to make that adjustment from I change things in the semesters and I have the summer to do something else and my day is intense with study but also kind of my own when I choose to see it that way to like showing up at a job every day and realizing that there's not going to be a ton of variance in it and We're going to have to work the week before Christmas and it's going to be kind of the same as, you know, it's just there there is a monotony that to being an adult versus being a student that it takes a good five years to get your sea legs around. And then you can kind of get comfortable in what you do and know that you're good at it and have some colleagues and relationships that make it better um, and start to kind of explore your life again. 
But there is this really compressed period, I think, right out of college that is just very, very difficult. You can do it and you will do it. And also, if you can put that off for another year or two while you continue to think about what you really want to devote that period of life to, I would do that. Do you think your experience of college was colored by the fact that so often you were playing the grown-up, like as an RA or as a leader in the sorority and that kind of thing? I think it was a couple of things. I think that is a huge part of it. I also think that I was dealing with my car accident still in ways that I didn't fully understand. Um, Also, until I went to college, I had three great-grandmothers in my life, and all three of them died in the same month when I was a sophomore. My grandmother, who I was very close to, her health deteriorated during that time. My mother's health deteriorated during that time. It was just hard. There was just a mm-hmm. lot of hard stuff going on. And I think I was so busy like with the work of being a student and playing the adult in all the different roles that I did in college that I couldn't really connect with anyone through all of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think you're definitely right. If like, listener, if you're on like some sort of full scholarship situation, deaf don't roll out early. Um, if you can do financially like a study abroad. I, I just did a summer abroad, but I kind of wish now I'd done a full semester. Although I think it's hard to get back in once you've been abroad. Not because people are excluding you. You're just sort of ready to move on. But the times in college where I was taking classes that I was just curious about and it wasn't about some sort of major career track, um, major is in like my college major, a situation or oh, like the semester I fell in love with Nicholas and it was just la la land. I don't even remember the classes I took. Oh, it was so, so fun. It's really some happy memories. I think there's there needs to be way more time in life and college is your is your best chance of having just some, like you said, just have some exploratory time. Just be curious. Get to learn about yourself. That's our advice. And either way, take a second to congratulate yourself on being at a place where this is an option available to you. That's wonderful. Yeah, totally. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come right back. Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? For me, as previously mentioned... It was Facebook. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit BetterHelp.com NL. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 700,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for the Nuanced Life listeners. Get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com NL. We have two commemorations to share today. The first one comes from Tina 
who was listening to our podcast and felt like it was a good time to write. She's had a lot of change over the past year or so. In August, she was let go from a job that she loved. She said, thank goodness I was already seeing a therapist, bravo Tina, and she helped work through my hurt and anger. I decided to go to my high school reunion in September, and yes, as the story goes, reconnected with a guy from high school. Things moved quickly, and in a matter of months, I found myself moving into his home. He made me feel safe and loved. I found a job and started in December. It's been a bumpy road, but I feel that God or the universe, whatever you believe, put me at my current employment. I have a coworker who told me that at her family Christmas, she told her family that she was the most grateful that I became her boss. Things in the relationship took a bad turn. I now find myself living with a female friend. She went through a rough divorce in August and has been struggling. This is my third day and night of living in my new home. Sadly, people seem to have an opinion of us becoming roommates. She's struggling and so am I. Why can't society make it okay for friends to become roommates and help each other financially, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally? Neither of us think that our living arrangement will be permanent, but man, does it feel safe right now. Like the two of you always say, world, let's just be kinder and gentler with each other. Right now, I'm doing the best that I can. I don't know why the world has a problem with this. I think it's ridiculous. A few weeks ago, we talked about the David Brooks article about the nuclear family. And the thing I can't stop thinking about is the website that pairs up single moms so they can live together and like do life together and help raise each other's kids. And I think that's the most genius idea ever. The idea that when women, men, I don't care who are going through similar things, if they can share a space when affordable housing is like the number one issue in so many parts of the country, what is the big deal? I totally agree. This made me think of um, the High Women song about a crowded table, like just mm-hmm. that we need to be there for each other during these tough times in life and good ones too. Everybody needs someone to celebrate with and to go through the day with. I had a dream last night that my sister and I found a house that had like two sections basically where both of our families could move into it. And I woke up delighted. I thought it would be amazing to be able to basically establish a compound with my sister as she gets ready to have a new baby. um, And as my girls are growing up, I think that there are just so many ways to live um, and so many opportunities to live in a situation that's temporary. I mean, Tina, you might come out of this feeling like you have a new sister, right? Because you've been through this experience with someone else who's having a hard time. So I think this is a beautiful adjustment to a set of circumstances you didn't anticipate. And good for you for reaching out and sort of riding that wave of unanticipated bumps in the road. I just mix my metaphors. Just go with me here. I think it's I think it's great to be to to deal with it and you seem to be dealing with it so well and finding that support and and finding a new path and walking and just, you know, who cares what everybody else thinks. We also heard from Jen who submitted a commemoration about her mom who has been through a lot of really intense medical crises. She says, I guess the point of this long email is that I want to commemorate this weird, deeply emotional transition of children learning to take care of their parents. If you have any advice you'd like to give on the subject, I'd love to hear it. I've watched my parents do it for all four of my grandparents who are no longer with us, and I've watched my cousins lose both their parents to cancer as adults in their 20s and 30s. 
My parents had my brother and me when they were in their 40s, so I know that caring for my parents as they get older and need different medical procedures is something we'll have to deal with sooner than a lot of people our age. I don't feel ready for this, and I know I never will, but we've always been a family of doers with my parents showing my brother and me how to love through actions, dad warming my car up for me before I drive home, mom cooking and baking for people and inviting them into our home, all the little life things that make the people around them feel cared for. They've given me a solid roadmap to follow as big and scary as this all feels. And I also want to commemorate my mom. This has been hard, and she's broken down a couple times during the recovery process and has been impatient to feel better, but each day she's stronger and feeling more like herself. Her response to my morbid musings about life and running out of time is always to tell me not to count her out yet, that she's only 65 and is staying positive and isn't planning on going anywhere anytime soon. She's looking forward to being able to work in her garden this spring and very carefully go back on the boat this summer. I'm so grateful for our super close mother-daughter relationship. My mom is my person. Through all of our growing pains getting to this point, it feels like we've hit a really good groove as a family. My brother and I are happy with our lives and jobs and aren't trying to constantly compete and prove ourselves. My parents can relax more and trust their adult children. And we've adapted a new normal of dealing with my mom's recent health issues. I feel like I'm at one of those points in life where I can look around and finally see the effects of all the work we've done to get to this point. It's work we'll have to keep doing, and we aren't always good at it. But right now, it feels really good to just enjoy being with each other. I'm really glad that Jen sent this to us because I think so many of us are hitting that stage where um, the relationship with parents has to change as health issues come up. Aging is one of the biggest issues in our country. We talked about this recently Mm -hmm. on Pansy Politics as well. And it is just financially, emotionally, spiritually a very big transition when you start to recognize that your parents suffer and that they have fragility physically and that they're not going to be with you forever. And it's very, very hard. And there are also really beautiful aspects of feeling like you get to use some of the caregiving skills that they demonstrated for you forever and see them in a new way and have a different level of conversation with them as your parents age. So there's just there's a lot here. I have a lot of anxiety about this transition because I'm an only child. And so, you know, I'm so happy Jen has her brother and that they can work through this because it is so much. And truthfully, even watching some of my friends deal with this, even with a bunch of siblings, it still kind of falls to one person or another. I've seen this with my parents and their siblings, too. And it's just it's hard. I think it's it's not only hard to see your parent be vulnerable, but you have to face your own mortality and vulnerability at the same time. And that's just a big psychological lift in the best of situations, much less if you're sleep deprived or tired or whatever. And I think when this happens, when you're in a stage of life where you have young children at the same time, it can be really confusing about where your caregiving is supposed to go. You know, my mom has had a number of surgeries over the past couple of years, and I hate that I'm not there for every single one of them and for the entire recovery period. I hate when I'm not there to drive her to a doctor's appointment that's far away because I have young children and my parents are really wonderful and open with me about saying, we really need you to come this time or your job right now is to take care of your girls. And they still give me that guidance. They're still parenting me, even through this process, where sometimes they really do need my help. And um, so I feel like we've really grown as a family in that way and that ability to be direct about when they need me and when they don't need me. Um, But it's a it's a hard thing. And 
Um, it makes me appreciate everything they've done for me so much more as I see them more and more as real people who have their own needs, too. And I think about what a powerful lesson that is for our own kids. I mean, I think to watch watch our own kids care for our parents and to see that um, generational cycle of care and that this really is a unit and it's not like I raise you, you're gone. Like this is a relationship we're in together and we continue to care for each other as best we can and we work through all these difficulties together. And I just think that's such a powerful lesson of love that we can send to our kids. Well, thank you, Jen, and all the best to you and to your mom and your whole family as you continue to navigate this. Thank you all of you for sharing so much of yourselves with us. We'll be back in your ears on Pantsy Politics between now and then, but then again here this coming Wednesday for more commemorations and advice and just getting through the messiness of it all together. Keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces The Nuance Life. Elise Knapp is our managing director. The Nuance Life is listener supported. Go to patreon.com slash the nuance life. For $5 each month, you'll receive an entire bonus episode of The Nuance Life. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Dylan Garvin is the composer and performer of our ad music. For more information about The Nuance Life and to connect with us through our weekly email, visit pantsuitpoliticsshow.com.